Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Rebecca F., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, January 12, 2015. Today we are reading from the Big Book, and we are in Chapter 3, More About Alcoholism, on page 36, the first paragraph beginning with, Yet He Got. Today's readers are... Reading the OA 12 Steps is Sharon B. Reading the OA 12 Traditions is Leslie F. And reading the literature are Sharon R.S., Du L., and Becca W. The reference number for sh- or share ID for Sunday, January 11th is 7179. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Sharon B. to read the OA 12 Steps. Good morning, Sharon B. from New Jersey. Very grateful, recovered compulsive overeater. Can you hear me okay? Yes, Sharon B. Great. Okay, the 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, 
we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. Thank you, Sharon B. I will now ask Leslie F. to read the OA 12 Traditions. Good morning, everyone. This is Leslie F., recovered in Illinois. The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one loving, uh, but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. Thank you, Leslie F. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book in Chapter 3, 
More About Alcoholism, on page 36. I will now ask Sharon R.S. to get us started by reading two paragraphs. The first paragraph, beginning with, Yet He Got, will be read for context. The second paragraph, which ends with, So I Tried Another, will be the focus of our comments. Thank you, Rebecca. Good morning to everyone. This is Sharon R.S. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Page 36. Yet he got drunk again. We asked him to tell us exactly how it happened. This is his story. I came to work on Tuesday morning. I remembered I felt irritated that I had to be a salesman for a concern I once owned. I had a few words with the boss but nothing serious. Then I decided to drive into the country and see one of my prospects for a car. On the way, I felt hungry, so I stopped at a roadside place where they had a bar. I had no intention of drinking. I just thought I would get a sandwich. I also had the notion that I might find a customer for a car at this place, which was familiar for I had been going to it for years. I had eaten there many times during the months I was sober. I sat down at a table and ordered a sandwich and a glass of milk. Still, no thought of drinking. I ordered another sandwich and decided to have another glass of milk. Suddenly, the thought crossed my mind that if I were to put an ounce of whiskey In my milk, it couldn't hurt me on a full stomach. I ordered a whiskey and poured it into the milk. I vaguely sensed I was not being any too smart, but felt reassured that I was taking the whiskey on a full stomach. The experiment went so well that I ordered another whiskey and poured it into more milk. That didn't seem to bother me, so I tried another. Well, well, doesn't that sound like one of our stories, at least my story? A little bit never hurt. Here's Jim. He's made a great beginning. He's come into the rooms. He's gotten recovered. And he's sure that he will never drink again because he has everything to live for. He has his family, wonderful uh, family that he has put back to has come back together. He has a job. He's working hard. He's working in this place that he is his he once owned, but at least he has a job and he's working hard. But then he felt a little irritated that he was having to work in this place, working so hard, and he deserved more. He was irritated, which uh, is another word for resentment. And then he had a few words with his boss, which is another word for he became resentful. And then he had a thought. After that, he says, well, I'm going to get out and go do some business and work hard like I'm, that's the type of person I am. And he went out and he was working hard. And so uh, he says, I'm going to stop at this restaurant. And uh, there might be a car. I can sell a car at this restaurant. 
Well, that right there doesn't make a whole lot of sense that you're going to go to a restaurant and sell a car. But so the illusions have started to take place. What happened? What can we learn from this? The thing that comes to my mind is page 84. See, Bill had made a beginning, but he had failed to enlarge upon his spiritual life. And one thing that I, uh, for me, has been uh, really staying close to my community, close to, to other recovered compulsive overeaters, and using the help that, that I can get from them. And what my sponsor taught me when I get irritated is to deal with it immediately. Page 84, we have entered the world of the spirit when we become recovered, when we begin our recovery, actually. Our next function is to grow in understanding and effectiveness. This is not an overnight matter. It should continue for our lifetime. So we always, for the rest of our lives, will have to be vigilant. It says we have to continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. This is what our fellow Jim failed to do. He had resentment, but he, he tried to deal with it on his own. He didn't do anything about it. When these cropped up, we asked God. We pray immediately. At once, we ask God to remove them. If that doesn't help, it says here, we discuss them with someone immediately. We turn to our fellows immediately. It's critical. It's our life depends upon uh, asking God for help and then turning to our fellows to help support us in this, uh, to deal with these irritations, resentments, fears that crop up. And we make amends quickly. He, had to, he needed to apologize to his boss. He did not do that. If we have harmed anyone, we make that those amends immediately. Then we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. Love and tolerance of others is our code. That's what our fellow Jim didn't do, but that's what we can learn from him, and that's what each can do one day at a time. And with my pass. Charles A. Nope. from New York. Thank you, Sharon R.S. I was about to say, would anyone like to share on this this second paragraph? And I did hear Charles H. Was there anyone else before Charles gets started? Sylvia. Larry. Linda R. Bill F. Okay, wait one second. Um, I heard, I think I heard someone named Joan S. Is that correct? After Charles, did I hear someone named Joan S. And then Renata, Larry, Linda R. Linda R. I heard Linda okay. and Vasa. Matt. Maybe I, I was mistaken about the Joan S. It, it was Sylvia. Sylvia, thank you. That was after, okay. yeah. I don't know why that sounded like a Joan S. Okay. So That's okay. Got Charles, Sylvia, Renata, Larry, Linda, and Vasa. Charles, go right was, ahead. I think it was a Bill S. Oh, I did hear someone named Bill. Thank you. Thank you. I believe there was a, there was a Matt, too, that snuck in there. Yes. Yes? Okay. All right. We got quite a lineup. Go ahead. Thank you, Charles. Go ahead, Charles. 
Good morning. Thank you for your continued service. My name is Charles H., a recovered visionary just for today, and I knew it would be a traffic jam on this page. Um, but, yeah, um, thank you. You know, page 35 talks about Jim, like, talks about that, that he made that new beginning. He made that beginning, and his family was just, was reassembled. He began to work as a salesman, um, and he for the business that he lost through his drinking. But the, the key on this page 35 is he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. And then when, you know, you know, yet he got drunk again on page 36, top line, first line. We asked him to tell us exactly what happened. I remember I felt irritated that I had to. Remember, I remember talking about this last week prior to. Am I a prophet? No, I'm just joking. I had to be a salesman for a concern I once earned. It doesn't explain, the big book doesn't explain why he says he had to, um, but that that got resentment all written over it, and stress spelled backwards equals deserve. So, um, you know, I see some rationalization in here. Uh, I had no intention of drinking. Once I say I have no intention of binge eating, that means I have, all intentions of binge eating. So here, this story in the big book where he said he stopped at the roadside place to get a sandwich. Then he said he'll have another one. Then he mixed them. Then he started all type of rationalization. But the key thing on this page is that 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 really explains my disease in one word is suddenly, suddenly to throw across my mind. I could be doing step work. Everything could be going good. And suddenly, the thought will cross my mind to step on down to somewhere I shouldn't be stepping on down to, and uh, and then wondering why, you know, baffled again, like how did this happen? And all types of rationalization. Oh, you know, if I if I uh, if I if I exercise for six hours, I can get away with putting, you know, all types of rationalization. So you know what, this shows me that. A, you know, resentment's got to be mastered every single day, 4 through 9, and 10, 11, and 12, and for me, 1 as well. And 2 and 3, all steps. Walk up and down them steps all day. Get rid of, clean out clean out your, your chimney, man. Charles, clean out your chimney because, you know, I will pick up again. I don't care how much step work I'm doing, how much, you know, going to the gym, how much times I go to vision for you. If I don't get rid of these resentments, pray and meditate, I will binge again. So with that, I'm going to pass. Thanks for allowing me to share. Thank you, Charles H. Renata, uh, Sil- I'm sorry, Sylvia, you're next. Thank you so much. This is Sylvia, recovered compulsive overeater in upstate New York. I definitely wanted to be in on that word. Suddenly the thought crossed my mind. And... Um, you know, where where we're talking so much about, you know, that this is a program that we have to work every day and we have to uh, we have to be aware of that resentment. My disease doesn't allow me most of the time to know what I'm feeling. And that's how I get into this pickle and I call it a pickle uh uh very specifically is that I I am so out of touch with my feelings as this addict crazy mind that when I'm working the steps, it's mostly uh, now 
to know what it is that I'm feeling because I don't know. I've spent a lifetime of having a feeling, and I didn't know that that feeling was a feeling. What I thought was, eat something. That's the only thing I felt. Uh, I'm uncomfortable, and I'm going to eat something. And this experience that he talks about, where you get a good idea, and you put the whiskey in your milk, that's exactly how it happens to me, is that I don't have a thought until suddenly I have a thought that that I should pick up a bag of potato chips or whatever that is. That thought comes to me exactly the same way. So when I'm working my 10th step every day, which uh, someone had gone over, which is so immediate, for me, what it's doing is, is getting in touch with what it is I'm feeling so I won't build resentments and I won't be in self and I won't be dishonest with myself, that I won't live in fear. I'm working that to know exactly what I'm feeling because that's how out of touch my brain is all the time. If I'm not doing that, all of a sudden, this is exactly the experience that I get, that I have a good idea and that good idea is food. I have, it, there's no thought other than this, this, this seems like a good idea. And that is so, so how, uh, how suddenly it comes over me, how I get out of that is working that 10th step, working that 11th step, that pause that they talk about, praying to God, that keeps me in touch so that when I have a sensation, whether it's in my body or my mind, I go, oh, what's that? And I pause. And it may, oh, maybe I'm competing with someone. Maybe I'm scared that someone won't like me. Maybe I, you know, whatever it is, I have to go back and go, oh, what is that thought? I've been in, uh, in, I've been in the program and recovered for about 10 years, and it's still that way for me. I suspect it will be that way to the day I die, still recovered. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sylvia. Renata, it's your turn. Hi, Rebecca. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. This is Renata um, G., Recovered Compulsive Reader in New York. And... Um, you know, I love reading the story about Jim. Um, I I really relate to everything here. And, uh, you know, it says that, he, you know, on the previous page he made a beginning, but he's not he's not recovered, right? And he's not spiritually fit. Uh, he has a, a resentment. And then he puts himself in situations that, you know, make it just that much easier for the disease. You know, on page 100, it says, assuming we are in fit spiritual, sorry, assuming we are spiritually fit, we can do all sorts of things alcoholics are not supposed to do. People have said we must not go where liquor is served, we must not have it in our homes, we must not shun from friends, we must shun from friends who drink, we must avoid removing teachers with children and seeing um, and, it, you know, the list goes on. So what it tells me is that if I'm not recovered, if I'm not spiritually fit, I really need to shield myself until I can go to the set. At least that's what I had to do. Um, you know, when I, was, when I started going to the set, I, I couldn't go to a certain restaurant. I couldn't uh, go out to eat with certain people. And that's what I had to do. And, you know, the, the experiment that Jim did with the whiskey and the milk, it's, you know, he's delusional. That's very 
with this picture of the obsession of the mind. You know, when he went to the place and said, ordering sandwich and milk, you know, it was not enough because that's not what he was after. You know, like I know for me, I would sit and that obsession would be in my mind and I would eat popcorn, I would eat seltzer, I I mean, drink seltzer. Uh, You know, I would eat lots of things that had no calories. So, you know, hoping that would fill me up and it would quiet that uh, the voice in my head that was telling me eat, 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 and would never do it until I thought, well, you know, maybe one cookie won't hurt. You know, I can't even, I can eat less for, for dinner. And so, you know, by the grace of God, after working this 12 steps, today I'm free. That obsession of the mind doesn't talk to me anymore. I have sanity around food. I know that any kind of sugar or, you know, like my, my trigger ingredients, they, they're poison to me. doesn't matter if they come in the form of cookie or a granola bar or whatever it is. And I'm very grateful. Thanks, and our back. Thank you, Renata. Gee, and I just want to thank everyone for being so mindful of the time. Larry, you are next. Thanks so much. Um, Larry Kay, Recovered Compulsive Reader from Chicago. Um, you know, I can relate to Jim, you know, for, for many years, um, you know, even, even after I came into program, I had the delusion that I had this disease beat because I had put the food down and I was feeling better. I was just whistling in the dark. You know, I, I, I would wake up, you know, perhaps abstinently having absolutely no intention of eating you know, um, I'd go about my work, and the next thing I knew, I don't know what happened. All of a sudden, I'm in a drive through line. I don't know how I got there. See, suddenly I had a thought before I got there, right? It crossed my mind. Mm, fast food. Sounds like a great idea to me. You know, as we think, so shall we be. You know, all action is born in thought. You'll never take an action that you didn't first think that the thought didn't cross your mind. All action is born in thought. And I want to contrast that from what happens after completing this practical program of action. You know, once God changes us, once your higher power changes you, because you don't change yourself, that was the delusion. God did this to me. At least that's my experience. Before God changed me, I had no mental defense. After God changed me, I do have a mental defense, and and here, and and we don't know what we don't know. If you don't have a mental defense yet, and you're still obsessed with food, how would you? I didn't know, and I wasn't a a dummy, but I didn't know. On page 85, it says, we will see that our new attitude towards liquor has been given us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. We are not fighting it. Neither are we avoiding temptation. We feel as though we have been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. See, before, when I would hear that, you know, read in meetings, I didn't, that was conceptual to me. It was not an actual experience that I had. It was always a struggle. I was either in the food or I was out of the food but struggling and knowing in my mind, eventually I'm going to pick up the food. Today, the thought doesn't occur to me because God has done this to me 
as the result of having the courage to work through these steps sequentially and then something happens to you. Find out for yourself what happens to you. That's what I had to do. I had to find out for myself. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Linda R. Good morning. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for doing service today. Linda R. Recovered in South Florida. Um, you know, as we're sharing today, the thoughts that are coming into my mind is, thank God I have awareness today. And because I have that awareness, God and I, there's like that God awareness, I can work the steps with clarity of mind. However, I want to just talk a little bit about the doctor's opinion, because to me, this is just a reinforcement that we have an allergy of the body and a mental obsession of the mind. And this to me is what happened to Jim. And the other thing I want to say is, yes, resentment is the number one offender. You know, in my, he didn't have awareness that he was feeling these feelings. And then I know in the past when I felt these feelings, if I kept moving, I usually, you know, could like keep the first bite in abeyance. But once I sit down, like he did at that restaurant and bar, and I just let those feelings sit, it's impossible if, if I don't work the steps and I don't do my daily regimen and my daily practices in the program. It's going to hit me like a ton of bricks. The other thing I wanted to share is that the phenomena of craving. He had a sandwich, which had probably white flour in it, and then he had a second sandwich. So what came into my mind is perhaps he had a food addiction, and perhaps that food addiction was triggered, and then he got the phenomena of craving, and then the thought of drinking came in his mind. But what is alcohol based so I just wanted to share the physical part of this story that perhaps he did have a food addiction because he couldn't stop at one sandwich, and then he started the ball rolling. Thank you. Thank you, Linda R. Vasa O. You're next. Yes, thank you. Good morning, everybody. Thank you, Rebecca, for your service. And I am Vasa O. Recover Compulsive Overeater calling from Florida. And the 12 steps for me, it's an uh, ongoing process. You know, I keep on going back and forth and back and forth, you know. That's my life. But when I'm spiritually fit, I can do things I couldn't do because I have the power of God to give me the strength, the courage to go on, you know, when I didn't have the power by going by myself and doing stuff. But anyways, I can identify with uh, Jim's story uh, the insanity, insanity, the irritation. I, I remember experimenting with the food before I came to, to the program. I'd get this great idea, so I thought uh, suddenly how to diet and lose the weight. When I baked, I would put only one-third of sugar or one cup of sugar or one-fourth in the recipe instead of a cup or cup and a half. And or, 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 or the fats, you know, I'd use only a little bit. And I'm just going to have only one, and that will satisfy. It wouldn't hurt me. Well, what a lie, I told myself. But I didn't even think they were lies. 
the mental obsession with that when I, that one thing I pick up and and I say, oh, I'm just going to have one more. I'll just I'll have another one and I'll be okay. And I say, oh, forget it. I gave into the food and might as well just finish it all up and start all over again. I did this for 25 years of my life. You know, I was getting tired, sick and tired, and I just couldn't stand myself anymore. I thank God he brought me to Overeaters Anonymous. And again, you know, no matter what, I kept on hearing from my sponsor, you don't eat, you run to God, help to God, and, you know, and run to other people, you know, with the selfishness, dishonesty, resentments, fears, uh, not don't go to to the food, you know. And it was like a torture for me not to go to the food to deal with life and life's problems. You know, it was so normal for me to go to the food to, you know, to numb my feelings. And that was the only way I knew. And all of a sudden I had to learn different ways. Yeah, I didn't feel comfortable. It didn't feel good. But I, I kept on praying and sticking with my abstinence. And thank you for letting me share and I pass. Thank you, Vasa O. Bill S., you're next. Uh, hi, this is Bill F. Uh, yeah, I was unmuting, too, like so many people do. Uh, I'm a uh, recovered compulsive overeater up in uh, Canada. And uh, I've been listening to uh, the uh, the recorded meeting for many months. I have an opportunity this week to uh, to listen live, so I'm, I'm enjoying that. Um, uh, put an ounce of whiskey in my milk uh, couldn't hurt me on a on a full stomach. And the way that I relate to that was, I used to say, um, I uh, I had no problem with uh, barbecue sauce because I really don't like vinegar. And and you know there's a lot of uh, vinegar with the sugar in the barbecue sauce. And so you know I'd say, well, I, I I would never drink barbecue sauce. There's other sweet things that I certainly would, but not barbecue sauce. So I was fine. And and uh, um, my uh, sponsor uh, pointed out to me, well, you know, there's a lot of sugar in barbecue sauce, and uh, sugar is sugar. And I when she pointed that out, I wasn't listening that closely, and I kind of vaguely agreed with her. And then I realized what I'd done, and I really had to look at it and um, and admit, okay, well, let's uh, let's try not having any barbecue sauce. Um, and uh, it, uh, I, I realized um, pretty quickly that uh, that was certainly not uh, not something that I could eat. And now. Uh, one of my focuses as far as my food plan is concerned is to uh, minimize uh, added sugar uh, to the greatest extent that I can. Um, you know, I still have fruit, but um, that's that's about the extent of it. And that's all I wanted to share. Thanks. Thank you, Bill F. Sorry, I got that wrong. And Matt, I didn't get the first initial of your last name. You're next. Hi. Hi, yes, um, I'm Matt, a grateful compulsive overeater from New Jersey. Hi, Matt. Can you hear me? Yes. First okay. initial of your last name, Matt. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, I'm, I'm Matt M. Matt M., a grateful compulsive overeater from New Jersey. Um, I really relate to a lot of what they're saying here and what he's what is being said about Jim. What I love though is uh, they says he says he went to work on Tuesday morning. What happened to Monday? Usually people go to work Monday through Friday. 
I thought that was really a chuckle I had over that. And then I realized um, he's, this is premeditation all through this whole paragraph. You know, he knew there was a bar there. He thought he can go and eat there and not drink with impunity. He was cocky. There was cockiness in his, in his thinking already there. No, he thought, there's no, there's no way I'm going to drink. I'm not thinking about it. And, um, and he's, already, he's already starting to have um, seconds and thirds of different things already. So that's already premeditating a, a compulsion, whether he's a food addiction or not. And um, I realized that so someone said before, like, you know, who goes to sell a car at a restaurant? You know, it's, it's amazing. Like, what I hear is denial, premeditation, and, 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 and that the, already this obsession is starting to take over before he even takes the first drink. Because the, for, for me, I know for me, the food is a symptom of a greater whole. I have a living problem. So the food is the last thing to go. So it's, it's the serenity that goes uh, first. And um, I love that. I love the thought. Like, oh wow! Suddenly, like a big magic um, bullet or like a, a light bulb goes off in his head. It's, it's funny. That was the way I was. You know, I was doing fine, at, uh, working on my abstinence, and all of a sudden, I'd wind up putting a little extra food in my in my meal for the day. And then it would start. The next day, I would have a bigger meal. The next, uh, the next, uh, the next meal. And then all of a sudden, I found myself at a drive-through, wondering how I got there, and why I was in debt. It's just amazing um, how, how I hear a lot, a lot of denial, a lot of uh, premeditation, a lot of resentment in this paragraph, and a lot of, some remorse, too. I hear the remorse in that second in that paragraph that was read, you know, because it's like, wow, it's amazing. Wow, with that, I pass. Rapia? Thank you, Matt M., I just want to let you know the sound quality. It was difficult to hear you. There was static on your line, unless it's my phone. Um, we're going to move on, and Rabia, I'll put you down if you don't mind. If you still want to read after, do read. I mean, if you I want to I did hear him clearly. I wanted you to just know on my phone. I heard. Oh. I heard Bill clearly. Thank you, Mary. Uh, well, that was Matt. Thank you. Maybe it's my phone. Um, do L. I will now ask you to read the next paragraph at the bottom of 36, beginning with, Thus Started One More. Good morning. This is Do L, a recovered compulsive overeater. Thus started one more journey to the asylum for Jim. He was the great, he was the threat of commitment, the loss of family and position, to say nothing of what of that intense mental and physical suffering which drinking always caused him. He had much knowledge about himself as an alcoholic, yet all reasons for not drinking were easily pushed aside in favor of the foolish idea that he could take another whiskey if only he mixed it with milk. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think about this all the time. I think about, you know, uh, a few pages before um, it talked about that despite all we can say, many who are real alcoholics, we're not just talking about someone that is um, a normal eater or someone that can, you know, uh, that is not an alcoholic, not a compulsive overeater, but we're talking about the real, real deal, real compulsive overeater. It says, are not going to believe that they are in this glass. See, that's, that's the problem. 
that's the problem, that I have a mental obsession that tells me the lie that I can be like everyone else. And it says, by every form of self-deception and experimentation, he will try to prove himself the exception to the rule, therefore non-alcoholic or non-compulsive overeater. If any of you uh, showing an inability of his drinking can do the right about face drink like a gentleman or hats off to them. And it says, heavens no, we have tried long and hard enough and we have not been able to. If you're the real alcoholic, eventually it will catch up to you. And, you know, that's what I see in this story that this guy, he he justified his drinking. He, he, um, he went through every form of experimentation and self-deception. Um, he tried many, many times to go to these restaurants, try to get away with it. Um, you know, if you're a real alcoholic, real compulsive overeater, it's just like me. If I know I don't need to be at a food buffet, if I know I, I don't need to be at a store or somewhere that I don't need to be to, but I think I can control it. I think I can get away with it. I think I'm already putting myself at a high-risk situation, you know, especially if I'm in early recovery, especially if, I'm, if I have not gone through these steps, I have no business being at those places, you see. So this is giving us clear-cut directions, you know, telling us there are steps to take. There's things to do as you're going through this process. And one of them is don't put yourself in high-risk situations. Don't go to places where you know that eventually your, your mind is going gonna, is gonna to kick in and it's going to lead you back to that food. You see, because there are two things that I see here too. Uh, one is compulsive thoughts and impulsive thoughts. Now, the impulsive thoughts are thoughts that I call habits because we practice them so much that they become automatic. And I don't even think about it. I just pass by, and I'm so used to picking up that candy bar. I'm so used to picking up those binge foods that the habit or the impulsive thoughts drive me to that, you know? And I don't even think about it. That's, that's, that's where he's saying suddenly the thought came to my mind, you know? And then the other thing is when it's compulsive, is I'm thinking about it. Once that thought crosses my mind, I'm going to continue to think about it because that's my disease. My disease is about how am I going to get to that food? How am I going to justify getting to that food? You know, and then I'm going to believe the lie that I can eat that food when I know many, many times it has led me to physical and mental suffering. But I'm still going to try it. I'm still going to do it because if I am sick with this compulsive overeating, that's, that's what my disease does. It is cunning, baffling, powerful. It will always lead me back to the food. You see, and it doesn't matter if you have self-knowledge. It doesn't matter if you know about the steps. This disease is powerful, powerful, cunning, baffling. Cunning, meaning it's going to lay a snare for you, and you're going to fall right into it. You know, it's, it's baffling. How, how did I get here? Well, you know, if you're not watching out for your habits, if you're not watching out for your behaviors, which is part of it, you know, it's going to lead you back to that. 
And it's powerful because no matter, it says, yet for reasons obscure, it doesn't matter what reasons. The reasoning goes out the window because my mental obsession is so powerful that it tells me the lie that I believe the lie and I will try to mix it up. You see, my mind will tell me I can have that chocolate if I mix it up with milk when I know I'm not supposed to have chocolate. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mix it up some kind of way, you know, and that's, that's, that's if I'm not working these steps, the self-will, the self-knowledge, the self-reliance, the self-self-self will always win out. You see, if I'm not connected in doing God's will, which will decrease my obsession towards the food, my self-will will increase and it will lead me always to the food. So that's why it's important to go through these steps and it's important to go through this process so that I can be relieved of this obsession. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Duel. Rabia, did you want to read, I mean, share on this paragraph? Thank you, Rebecca. Uh, yes, I would. This is Rabia. I am a recovered compulsive overeater in New York, Rabia M. And uh I love the shares this morning. I, too, wanted to speak to those of us on the line who are in early recovery, um, who are um, just putting the food down and beginning this journey into finding a power greater than ourselves and using the tools of OA, because this is when the tools are essential uh, to keep the food down. And so so I so I've I've heard and I love the um expression seemingly unimportant decisions suds because uh, that really resonated with me um in in the first few weeks. You know, those of us who were in the first 30 days or 60 days were very fragile. The we're we're letting go of this habit of compulsive overeating and all of these foods that we've been eating and all of these behaviors. And so I was on my way to an OA meeting and I was tired. And so I stopped in Dunkin' Donut to get a coffee. And I sat through, I was in my second week, and I sat through that OA meeting thinking about these donuts, the whole meeting. And, you know, I was going to buy, go back and get a, a dozen on the way home and 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 I and I just and I realized I could use the tools because it's what people were telling me and I made so many phone calls that evening because those donuts were screaming at me and uh and I um I don't know that I've been in a Dunkin donut since then because these are the seemingly unimportant decisions you know I'm or I'm really hungry like it's time for a meal and I'm that hungry, and I go into the grocery store to buy something. And so so all of these um, uh, things are going to be popping out at me. My cravings are going to be starting uh, in a different way than if I had eaten my lunch or I had called someone and say, I'm going shopping now. You know, I'm, I'm going into dangerous territory. That he, That's here's where we can support each other. Uh, because, you know, the phone calls and the meetings and whatever we need to do 
to maintain our abstinence, keep the food down, while we're starting to go through the steps. So there's a lot of practical advice uh, right in here in people, places, and things. I'll take my last 20 seconds to talk about them in the very beginning um, to avoid the places and the events and, and even the people I used to binge with in the beginning um, while I'm learning to put the food down. And that was really helpful for me also. With that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Rabia. Who else would like to share on this? Sarah Kim. W. I heard Sarah W. Kim. Kim G. Anna. And Leah. And was that Janice? Yes. Okay, we'll see if we have time for four shares. Let's try to be succinct. Go right ahead, Sarah W. Okay, thank you, Rebecca, for your service. Sarah W., grade four, covered compulsive reader from Iowa. Wow, uh, you know, the thought that keeps coming into my mind is the thing that always has gotten me started is pain. I'm sorry, but it's not the thought about the food. It's about my pain. My emotional pain has always, without a doubt, driven me into the food because that's the crux of the underlying resentment. People aren't doing it my way. They don't care enough. They're not there enough for me. And I had an issue that came up this morning for me and with my grandson, and I'm not going to talk long, but I know i got to take care of it. I'm recovered today, and I'm very grateful for that. But my thing is I want somebody else to provide me with validation that I'm okay. And that's what the salesman did, and that's what most of us do. We're looking for somebody to validate us, to say, if you say I'm okay, then I'm okay. And if I don't get that from somebody else, and I'm in some kind of emotional pain, and that's when I'm going to do something to somebody else and hurt them. And that's where the food comes in, and that's all I have to share. And with that, I know I need to do a 10-step. Thank you very much, and I pass. Thank you, Sarah W. Kim G. Thanks, Rebecca. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. He had much... I'm sorry, yet all reasons for not drinking were easily pushed aside in favor of the foolish idea that he could take whiskey if only he mixed it with milk. So I just sat here and I thought, what are those, some of those foolish ideas that I would do? It's been a really good day. I need to celebrate. It's been a really bad day. I need to be comforted. My grandma made it just for me. Well, I bought it at Whole Foods or Trader Joe's or whatever high-end grocery store. It should be okay. Well, this ice cream was made from milk of cows that were raised by Amish people, and they had free-range eating. I had a really good workout. I have never had this before. I can't deny my family. I have to participate in this. My sponsor can eat it. Why can't I eat it? It's all natural. You know, I remember last year a girl, I offered to work with her this time of year, and I asked her if she was willing to put the food down. And she got quiet for a minute and she said, maybe I'll call you when Girl Scout cookie season is over. I get that. The idea of doing the steps is easily pushed aside by the fact that Girl Scout cookies are out this time of year. So what are we going to do about that? So I'm just going to simply end with this. On page 88, which is after we've done the steps, because I don't care how many tools you do, I don't care how many human aids you find, they will support us while we're doing the steps. 
But if we don't get through that steps, we will always have a thought that will easily push aside as a foolish idea. So on page 88, when we've gotten through the step, it says we alcoholics are undisciplined. So we let God discipline us in the simple way we've just outlined. I used to try to let a meeting discipline me, let a sponsor discipline me, all human aid, and that failed me utterly. And the way I let God discipline me is in the simple way we just outlined, which is the steps. I do whatever I can when I'm in early abstinence, but understand it's only the steps and getting connection with higher power that will get between me and that thought. And that thought will always bring me back to one of these excuses that I just listed. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. Leah M., you're next. Thanks so much, Rebecca, for your service. Good morning, everybody. Leah M., he had much knowledge about himself as an alcoholic. You know, this story, which I relate to very much, uh, you know, really is an illustration of the powerlessness that we talk about in step one. The powerlessness is not, you know, after I've binged my brains, you know, out and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm in a sugar stupor. The powerlessness really uh, is when I'm not uh, engaging in that behavior because the real area that Jim is powerless here is even after he has learned about alcoholism, which he has, they spent a lot of time with him. Even when he's learned about it, even when he has a threat of commitment, the loss of family and position, uh, the intense mental and physical suffering that always came after a good drunk, uh, he still cannot go through life without drinking. You know, that knowledge that he has uh, accumulated from uh, the fellows in AA um, does not uh, prevent him. It's not sufficient enough to uh, to cause a defense against that first drink. And that is the insanity the big book is talking about. Everybody focuses on the problems that compulsive overeating causes or the problems that drinking causes, the threat of commitment, the loss of family, etc. But that doesn't help you understand alcoholism at its core. That does not help you understand compulsive overeating at its core. The real problem is even after all Jim's damage, even after Jim's illness, even after the consequences are explained to Jim in excruciating detail, he still goes out and picks up that first bite. That is the insanity that the big book is trying to teach about, and that's what powerless means, a situation where we have no defense against that first bite or that first drink. That is the insanity, that we have the inability uh, we, to see the truth. You know, the, the mind, Jim's mind uh, has been uh, hijacked. <laughs> the obsession has taken over. We have a mind which takes us back to that which is killing us. And I relate to that. I couldn't remember the suffering. I couldn't remember the tears of the night before, the humiliation, the, the shame, the, uh, you know, discussions of divorce. All I could remember was the sense of ease and comfort which was going to come at once after taking a few bites. And thank God for the program of recovery, which has restored me to sanity because I no longer am subject to being hijacked by the obsession. And that is what recovery is all about. That process of recovery is about implementing the steps to be in recovery, drive out the obsession of the mind, be restored to sanity, and have the ability to see the truth about ourselves. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Um, Janice, um, we're, we're 
cutting it close, but I'm going to let you share, and then we'll close up. Go ahead, Janice. Are you there, Janice? Can you hear me, Rebecca? Now we can. Yes, go ahead. Oh, thank you. I'll keep it brief. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Thank you. Good morning, Vision for you. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Well, what we've been hearing about today and, and some wonderful shares, thank you, everybody, for sharing today is about this thinking disease. It is a thinking disease. You know, I don't know about you, but if the food is down, if I'm not ingesting any of those foods that trigger that allergy of the body, why can I not stay stopped? It is because it is a thinking disease. You know, the chapter isn't titled Into Thinking. It's titled Into Action. And that's what was happening to Jim here. Even when he had no alcohol in his system, even when he was not triggering the allergy of his body, he was thinking about it. And that's the obsession of the mind. That's the insanity. And so it is the steps. It is the 12 steps, the process of the 12 steps that clears our minds into a new way of thinking and acting on life. But we have to do the steps. I remember my sponsor saying, once you get started and you put the food down, you're in a race against time. You're in a race against time. Because until you've gone through those steps, one through nine especially, and then live in 10, 11, and 12, you are subject to that thinking. Because the process of the 12 steps will change your thinking. God will come in and rearrange your thinking and give you freedom from the obsession. And then the desire to pick up the food is lifted one day at a time, one day at a time. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Okay. I'd like to thank everyone who has shared. And we would not, we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164 followed by the serenity prayer. Will Becca W., please read A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Hi, Rebecca. Can you hear me? Yes, Becca. Thank you. Wonderful. Rebecca, thank you so much for your service. This is Becca W., gratefully recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.